Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad that you're tuning into our summer series titled On Your Mark. As we go through the book of Mark, equipping you on how to run strong this summer for Christ, we pray this message impacts you where you're at and where you're going this summer. Thanks for listening. have you a copy of God's Word. I hope you are prepared to dig around in that, celebrate all that God's doing. Life, waters being stirred, people stepping from darkness to light, from death to life. Not just wanting a change of location, but simply wanting first a change of heart. And that's what we're about in this series, and I really hope that's the desire of your heart. It's whatever has been weighing heavy. God knows what that is. And God is prepared to meet you in that place to give you a better tomorrow based on the promises of his word. So take heart. God is faithful. Amen. He is faithful to us. Why is he faithful to us? I don't know. I don't know other than he loves us unconditionally. He Personally, he should have flicked me off the timeline of humanity a long time ago. But because of his grace, he loves us and he holds us. So welcome back, Church 213. More seeds rooted in good soil again this morning with these three, JB and Riley and Macy. I cannot wait to see what God's going to do with them. So as a church family, let's not only rally around them and pray for for that seed to to, to be in good soil, but let's pray for their families. Let's pray for grandparents, for aunts and uncles, for parents, moms and dads, that God would give them the strength to run well And handle gently that seed that God has planted in good soil. Amen. That's what we do as a church family. So thank you for investing into our students. Y'all were back. This, this, uh, This section was looking kind of bare last week. But we knew that God was doing some good stuff at the beach. And was it still there? Was the ocean still there? Because that's why we go to the beach. To make sure it's still there, right? It's still there. All right, good. Um, So right in the middle of our series, On Your Mark, we've been running through the book of Mark so that we can run well with the gospel this summer. So in way of um, just review, the gospel of Mark, along with Matthew and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. Some of you might, might have heard that term, the synoptic gospels. Synoptic comes from two words, one meaning um, like sync, like synchronize. And then the other comes from optic, which means to see. So Mark and Luke and Matthew work together in tandem to show the same thing in more clarity. So they're called the synoptic gospels. We've said before in week one that Mark focused more on what Jesus did than what he said. And so what his gospel will show us, man, it's action-packed. I mean, it moves fast. There's a lot of words like immediately. It's, it's a journey that he's writing to believers in Rome so that they might know and so they might spread one theme. And it's been the first opening line on your notes every week. And it's also the case this morning. So if you have your sermon guide, it's one theme. Mark's gospel theme is this. That Jesus is the authoritative, miracle-working Son of God. And Savior of the world. Y'all say and with me. And. And. That's kind of where we are. That's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So in the series, it's impossible for us to cover all 16 chapters in eight weeks. So what we've been looking at is head-scratching type moments that reinforce Mark's theme. So we've been working through. So, so far, we've looked at how each Um, of these head-scratcher type texts so far have reinforced Mark's theme. And you can feel the tension in the Scripture starting to rise. Like, you know, it's building a little bit. It's moving fast. You can feel that something's got to give. And in Mark 8, we find that give. You ever looked at something that was under a lot of tension and thought, something's got to give. You ever felt that tension in your home and thought, something's got to give. 
You ever sit at a buffet line and, and, and eat and eat and eat and think, something's got to give. You know, so that, that's the tension that's building in Mark. And we find that give in chapter 8. We see that Jesus and the disciples are, are at a personal pivot point. I want you all to get that in your head. That's the title of the message this week, the pivot point. So everything in in Mark so far has led us up to right here in this personal pivot point. Now, when I think of pivot, I think of basketball. You know, basketball, a pivot is a critical skill. If you're you're agricultural-minded, you know that a pivot is what they water the fields with. You know, it has one stationary point in the middle of the field, and everything else revolves around that. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? The pivot. A pivot is when a player in basketball maintains one foot having contact with the ground without changing its position on the floor and utilizes the other foot to rotate their body to change direction while in possession of the ball. Y'all are like, what does that mean? Let me me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Let me look for a tall human. David, he's he's a tall human. Okay, so here's my point. The personal pivot point that we see in, in, in Mark 8 is the disciples moving and they face opposition. They face unexpectation. They face a giant, okay? So if I go to shoot this basketball, that's not going to happen. He's going to say, get that junk out of here, okay? So if I try to do this, I can't make the pass. If I try to do this, I can't make the pass. But I need to get it to my teammate, teammate. Okay, so what I have to do is I have to pivot. So I'm going to use my left foot, move my right foot while I can change direction without maintaining the possession of the ball. So I will do this and I will do this and I will do this and then I will do that. Okay, you see what I'm saying? So y'all are practice is over. I know, I know. They didn't call me last night, okay? Trey, Trey hit me up, tried to, tried to DM me, but I, I, was, I was busy. I was praying. So, so they lost. May the, may the best team win. So the point is this. By rule, the player can avoid danger and improve the opportunity for success, but only if they use the pivot. And the pivot is a tool to which new focus And new direction is executed without giving up offensive advantage. And that's key for us. Because in life, we have to be able to to change our position without losing our offensive advantage. Because we are God's children establishing His kingdom and His rule through His presence here on earth. To God be the glory. So we have to learn how to pivot. So what is our pivot? The pivot is our faith in His Word. That is our pivot foot. The faith in His Word is our pivot foot. And here's why. Because faith in His Word allows you to change direction without losing possession of His presence. Without, while keeping an offensive advantage against the pressures of life. That's the key. The faith that we have, the faith that Haley talked about, the faith in Christ was able to allow her to pivot through a dark season of the passing of her grandmother, but yet still be able to kneel at the altar and praise the God of heaven. It's a pivot point. It keeps an offensive advantage against the pressures of this life, and I don't want you as a church family to crumble under the pressure. We've got to learn how to pivot in faith. Write this down. It's, it's on your notes. God's grace gives us a pivot point so we can point our lives back to Him. I praise God for pivot points in my life. Anybody else? Do I have any friends in here? Are you thankful? By God's grace for the pivot points that God has allowed you to have. Those moments where you cannot shoot your shot. But by the faith alone 
and grace alone, you are able to make an offensive advantage pass movement without losing possession of his promises. Woo! That'll pretty. I'm going to write that down right there. I don't have time. Remember that. I'm going to write that down. So here's it, here it is. Mark chapter 8 is the pivot point. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Mark 8, starting in verse 27. Mark 8, 27. If you're willing and able, let's stand together. If you have your copy, we're going to read. If not, you can read along with us right here on the screen. The pivot point. Mark chapter 8, 27, 28, and 29. Just to get us going. Mark 8, 27 says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. God, we thank you for this truth right here. It's small, but it's powerful. And Lord, we lay these words at your feet, that your spirit will penetrate our hearts. God, more than just answering the question of our eternity, but answering the question of our reality and our position in you while we face the pressures of life. So God, I pray over the next few minutes that you would do such a work. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to allow these people to open their hearts to the pivots that you are calling them to make. God, I thank you for the pivot points. I thank you for your control over our lives and in our lives and that you hold them in the palm of your hands. You're so faithful. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You guys can have a seat. The pivot point. So let's think about the, let's think about the theme. It's on your notes. We've already said it. Jesus is the authoritative, miracle-working Son of God and Savior of the world. So remember, Mark's writing for a purpose. So in verse 1 through 7, what we're seeing so far in this summer series is that 1 through 7 have been building toward this, that Jesus is the authoritative, miracle-working Son of God. All the things that we've seen in 1 through 7 are making that point of his authority. But earlier I said that the whole theme hinges on the word and. And Savior of the world. So verse 29 of chapter 8 is the and of Mark's gospel. I think that's significant. Because we're halfway through our series. Chapter 8 is halfway through the gospel of Mark. So everything really this summer hinges on this verse, 829. Look at it, it says this, 829, Jesus asked, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? See, we just read that he's on the way to Caesarea Philippi, the villages, it's an area. And on that road, Jesus changes the disciples' focus of him being the powerful Messiah to the suffering servant. It's the, it's the twist. All, all 660 verses of Mark redirect right here. It's the pivot right here in verse 29. And from here on out, Jesus is locked in to the cross. The focus is now turned toward Jerusalem. Everything you read from here on out is laying the foundation as he's working his way back to the cross. Outside of Jerusalem, he's there. He's moving to Jerusalem to which he was sent to die. And so this is called the gospel pivot. That's on your notes right there. This is called the gospel pivot. So if you ever hear a conversation about the gospel pivot, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that is. That's Mark 8, 29. That's, that, that, that's where the entire book changes direction without losing possession and advantage. And so for what I want us to know as a church family is any honest in reading scripture will reveal the beauty of this pivot point because it answers 
the most important question for all of us. What does the suffering servant expect from me? So to run well this summer by faith, we're going to have to pivot in some places. The first thing is this. You may have to pivot in what you believe. You may have to pivot in what you believe. Let's look at verse 27 through 30 again. Think about that first point. Pivot what you believe. Verse 27 says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? Who do do other people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still, still others one of the prophets. Verse 29, he says this, But, but you, who, who do you say that I am? This is an interesting location, Caesarea Philippi. See, what Jesus does is he takes those 12 disciples from the region around Galilee, because that's where they've been. Yeah? That was kind of their home base. We've talked about that. Sea of Tiberias, Galilee, you know kind of northern Israel, and he takes them to another location. He takes them further north. He's getting them away from distractions so that, so that they can have a deeper devotion. And I, that'll preach right there just in itself. Amen. That's what he's doing. God will take you away from the crowds to change your focus. That, that's the pivot sometimes. God will take you away from the crowd to change your focus. And see, Caesarea Philippi, It was the most unlikely location for the Bible's first human proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah. This is the first human proclamation in Mark right here. It's called the gospel what? Pivot. It's called the gospel what? Pivot. You with me, church? It's the first proclamation, human proclamation as Jesus as the Messiah. And it happens in Caesarea Philippi. This was a city that was the poster child for religious confusion. And God is in the details, isn't he? Y'all see this? And so it was full of idolatry. It was full of hostility toward monotheism. It was the perfect spot for Jesus to make his point. So he takes them away from the crowd to a place of confusion in order to ask them the question that every one of us have to answer. And so Jesus takes them to a city And this is key once you get it. He takes them to the city where belief in God was anything you wanted it to be to prove what kind of Messiah he had come to be. He defines who he is in a city where anything goes. He defines that only I go in a place where people are saying, you can go wherever you want. God is in the details. And that's important for you to realize Caesarea Philippi because it's really no different than America in 2021, isn't it? I mean, you don't, you know, it doesn't take long to, to get distracted by the talking heads of, of talk radio, of syndicated TV, you know, Fox News, CNN, Facebook, Twintergram, you know, all those things. It doesn't get, it doesn't get, uh, it, it's easy to find ourselves following just a shell of who Christ actually is because there's all of the crowds talking about who they think he is. And so some of us just need to go to Caesarea Philippi. Some of us need to get into the text. Dr. David Platt points out that we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we're more comfortable with. Like this nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who is fine with average devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. Can I get a witness? A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Man, we're missing it. So Jesus poses this straightforward question right here at the gospel what? Pivot. He poses this question to these 12 
who have pondered since he calmed the sea in chapter 4, who then is this? They asked themselves that when he calmed the sea. Who is this in the boat with us? And in the gospel pivot, he answers that question. And the disciples, they throw out a lot of popular opinions at the time. He said, who do people say that I am? They're like, well, some people say you're John the Baptist reincarnate. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say that maybe you're one of, other, one of the other prophets. And all of these are great examples. All of these are really good moral teachers. They were mighty men used of God. But that's not the point. The, the point is, Jesus is more than just a good dude. He's more than just an amazing teacher. Jesus is God. And he wanted to know where they stood. And so he says, but you. Who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you, you personally say that I am? See, Jesus... Jesus don't give three flips of a wooden nickel what the crowds say he is. He wants to know who do you think he is. And when I stand before him on judgment day, my answer to that question of how it changes the way I live is all that will matter. That's it. And make no mistake, Jesus is not just your homeboy. Man, that shirt burns me up. Jesus is my homie. You can't even spell, homie. <laughs> Jesus is my co-pilot. Me and Jesus are B hashtag BFFs. Have we lost the wonder and the majesty of who came to earth to die for humanity? He's the only Son of the living God, the maker of heaven and earth, the lion and the lamb, the bright and morning star. His mercy is everlasting. His judgment is perfectly applied. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And the Bible says His burden is light. That's who I stand before. And not too long from now, in the end, and I think it's closer now than it was yesterday, the Apostle John says this, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose writers, it was called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. Is this a homie? And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped with blood, and his name is the Word of God. Is this a hashtag BFF? The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is Jesus to you? Who, who do you say he is? And see, what Peter did is Peter stated with greater confidence than ever before against the backdrop of a culture that was widespread in confusion and increasing hostility from his nation's leaders. Peter made a declaration for himself. Welcome to 2020 America. A, a place that as a whole wants to entertain the, 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 the fun, cool guy Jesus. But don't want to submit to the lordship of Jesus. Let's just add him to our lives. No, if you just want to add him to your life, you are lost. You have to let him take over your life. Riley said it. She said, I was just interested in a change of location, but I had no interest in lordship and a change of my heart. Where did she get off to? There she is. I was looking for that bright shirt. Write this down. Popular and trendy views of Jesus must always surrender to the clear and consistent witness of the scriptures.
This is it right here. This is the written eyewitness account to me and you. Fold to it or be judged by it. Jesus is not our homeboy. So the question to ask yourself this morning is can you declare with confidence your allegiance to Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one and only Savior of the world? And if you can't, this is a pivot point for you. This is the moment this morning for you to pivot away from lostness, hold on to the possession of salvation, and pivot toward the cross. There's another thing too. So yeah, you've got to pivot on some things. The gospel, what? Pivot. So one, you may have to pivot what you believe. You might have to also pivot what you expect. You may have to pivot what you expect. Being a Jesus follower is no walk in the park. Sometimes it seems like it because of the blessings we have here in the United States of America the greatest country on the planet because of God's grace and favor. May we never forget that most of the world is living their Christian life like that in a struggle, a narrow struggle. So for us, we have to realize what we're going to expect. Look at verse 31. So after Peter makes this proclamation of what he believes, remember Mark's trying to define here the gospel pivot, what a true follower really is. In verse 31, he, he said, Then he began to teach them that it was necessary. It says he began to teach them. This was the ongoing process. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. And he spoke openly about this, which meant you know, it wasn't in parables. It was very clear. It's like he said, I hate to break it to you, but don't you hate to hear that? Can we talk? I don't want to be rude, but you're like, you're about to be rude. I don't want, to hurt. I don't want this to come off the wrong way. I'm like, it's about to come off the wrong way. You know? That he's very open right here. But turning around and looking and in verse 32, he spoke openly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. See, what you have to remember is that the disciples expected this earthly ruler that was like, kicking down doors, was about to get serious, was about to upend the authority. They, expe they, 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 they expected this earthly ruler. They never expected the Messiah to arrive on the scene with superiority. They never expected him to assemble this ragtag group of believers, fishermen, okay, and a couple of you know, uh, outcast tax collectors and, and a few others. He never expected the king to do all this and then die. Like, wait, what? I did not expect that. You were fan yourself and saying those words. What in the world? I did. This is not what I expected. Maybe you've sat in a place as a believer and you thought, I'm a believer. This is not the way this should be going. This was not their plan, but this was God's will. And that's what I don't want you to miss. See, it would be very hard to accept for these believers, very hard for them to accept this, but it was very clear. And see, being a Christian means you trust in the authority of Christ to work all things out for His glory, not necessarily for what makes us feel good. It's for His glory that, that, we, that we, we face things that are unexpected. And God's way of getting His will done would be different than what the world expected. It was a completely different pivot right there. See, the people expected, what do they expect? Power. Man, they expected war, didn't they? They expected someone to come in and swing a sword. I think that's why Peter 
grabs a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and starts swinging. He's like, if this is not what you're going to do, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to take my sword and try to build this kingdom myself. Building a kingdom of your own so we can put our feet up. A lot of us kind of go through life like that with our Christianity. This is not what they expected. They expected this, this victor. But Jesus would suffer. And he'd be rejected. And he'd be killed. And he would rise three days later for victory. Hey, look at it like this. If he did come as the expected ruler to overthrow the Romans in first century, it would be impossible for us to have victory through baptism today because it would have been a momentary gratification and no permanent gain. We can benefit from the cross because of the way he got the victory. That's that's it. God's ways are perfect for us. They didn't see this one coming. But all of this must happen. It was necessary because this is where judgment and grace kiss. Right here on the cross. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's having this conversation with Peter. Because Peter would be the forerunner in Acts. He would be the one to initiate the mighty move of the Spirit through the people of God. It was Peter to which Jesus said, on you, your little rock, I'm going to build my movement of the church. It's going to start with you. So if it's going to start with him, Peter better know what he believed. Amen? And if you're asking God to do something magnificent with your life or change your situation, the first question is not, God, what do you want me to do? But God, who are you to me? That's where it starts. And see, Peter was on board with Jesus as Messiah. He's like, don't go right. Let's rise up. Let's take somebody. Let's take somebody out. He was on board with that. What he was not on board with was Jesus going to the cross. That's why Jesus referred to him as one who was like the devil. One who was against the will of God. And so he rebukes him. This is what I thought about, you know, in sermon prep. What is, how, how can this be me? How, how can I find myself here? And it's this. Peter thinks he knows the kind of Messiah Jesus needed to be better than Jesus does. He was labeling Jesus. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down right there? He, he, he was trying to define what kind of Messiah Jesus had come to be. He's like, no, no, you, you can't do that. You can't die on the cross. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're saying. Get behind me because you're ignorant as of someone like the spirit of the devil that doesn't know the truth. And so Peter offers Jesus the crown without the cross. Remember what happened in Matthew 4. Remember? In the wilderness, Satan, what he's trying to do is to get... Jesus to accept authority outside the will of God. And and Jesus starts quoting scripture. No way. He reminds him, my allegiance is not to you, but it's to the will of the Father. He thinks he's got a better plan than God does. That's really what's going on in verse 29. That's why Jesus rebukes Peter and says, you get behind me, you spirit of Satan. But are we not guilty of doing the same things Sometimes, when we try to define God on our own terms. God, this isn't right. God, this isn't fair. God, I don't, I don't like this. Really, what we're doing is we are wanting the crown without the cross. Jesus is like, that's not the way this works. God, this isn't what I signed up for, so I'm done with you. Here's a question for you. What would it take for you to turn your back on Jesus? What would it take? I mean, some of you may say, nothing. I would never turn my back on Jesus. But then you're faced with a situation where you're tempted to question his will. You want the cross. You want the crown, but you don't want the cross. What will it take for you to turn your back on Christ? Man, that's a heart check, isn't it? 
See, we expect things all the time that, that aren't the will of God. Look at James 4. James kind of flushes this out. This is the half-brother of Jesus, so he knew a thing or two. Verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then it vanishes like the hawks. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live or, or, or we will do this or that. That's it. The Lord lives. So we're going to do we're going to do this or we're going to do whatever is in this moment that brings glory to God. There was this doctor. He was giving a prognosis to one of his patients and he's like, hey, sir, um, I've got some bad news and I've, I've got some really bad news. What do you want first? The guy's like, well, I mean, I guess give me the bad news. And the doctor said, well, you've got 24 hours to live. The guy's like, well, what could be worse than that? I mean, give me the really bad news. He said, I meant to call you and tell you yesterday. <laughs> that wasn't expected, was it? You never know. You never know. And with Christ, some of us had discovered that walking with Jesus on earth cannot just be bad. He can be really bad. Amen. But verse 31, look at this. Verse 31 says this. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, be killed and rise after the third day. What he's telling them, then he began to teach them He's saying, you better get used to different. In this gospel pivot, from here on out, boys, it's going to be a lot different than you expected it to be. And it's right here that we struggle, just like these 12. They were convinced of his divine person, but now they were kind of just struggling with his divine plan. But just because you don't like the situation of life doesn't mean that God has lost control. This is on your notes right here. Whenever God allows something that is not pleasant, remember it's not random. This is no ordinary individual that we are dealing with. This is not a hashtag BFF, okay? This is the one that holds the earth at 23 degrees and, and, and maintains the movement of a rotation of a thousand miles an hour so that men you don't fall over. I saw a quote last week that was spot on. The quote said, it's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want Him to say. <laughs> Woo! But man, that is so true. Yeah, it might not be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be safe or feel good in the moment. But it'll be His best if it's according to His Word. And so we're talking about pivot. It may be you this morning that should pivot away from what you want. And pivot toward what God's word says, which is going to lead you to living in his will. So that's the second pivot. It might be a chance for you this morning to pivot once and for all to Christ. You might want to pivot once and for all away from something that has been weighing down on you in a false expectation. And you've been distracted and losing possession of your faith. Because something really hadn't gone the way you thought it would. But the third pivot is this. Some of us, hopefully probably most of us, and I'm at the top of the list, are going to have to pivot away from what we do. You got to pivot away from what you do. We've already said... This moment, Mark's gospel, is the entire book's pivot point. Look at verse 34. Calling the crowds along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me. Remember, he's defining followership. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For, whatever, for, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain 
the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. These are tough words right here. This is defining followership. That's the point of following the leader, right? Follow the leader. Following means doing what he was doing, which is the gospel pivot toward death so others may live. Y'all get that? That's, that's what he's doing. So if we're following, in order to be a follower, we have to do what the person we're following is doing. Which by definition of following Jesus means we also must die that we and others may truly live. Riley had to die to herself. JB, Macy, had to die to themselves. And what's crazy is that Christians that are actually following and look like this look radical. What? How is following a leader and actually doing what the leader is doing radical? It's because it's so rare. It's not radical, it's just rare. I want us to be a church family that is not radical, but just simply doing what Jesus' followers do. We don't have to be called rebels. I just want us to be real. And in that realness, because of this sinful and perverse generation, we will look radical. And people will say, I don't know what's going on, but that person is like, they don't even belong here. I'm like, I don't. This is not my home. Okay, no need to eat healthy. Okay, this is not our home. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, eat your greens, okay? But like these disciples, I'm, I'm believing that we can be real followers. So let me stop here and plug something. Maybe you noticed out in the lobby, the little table set up. July is Missions and Ministry Month here, which means for the entire month of July, we want to live and be real because of our faith outside of these walls. So there's a couple of ways we can do that. One is random acts of kindness. Our goal is to have at least one person doing something randomly kind for the name of Christ each day of the month. Random acts of kindness. Pray it and do it. Doesn't have to be complicated. Um, I want to do something randomly kind for you. So somewhere in the pocket in these chairs in front of you, if you're on the front row, too bad, you're out of the game. But if you're not in the front row, if you will look in the chair to your front of you, left and right, there's, there's a card that says, Hello, friend. And there's a gift for you. Random act of kindness. Anybody? It says, hello, friend. If you have, I think there's two. If you have one, just hold it up. There's one. Linda, Linda found one. And Sherry found one right there. This is a very simple way of just us as a church being kind. And there's some gift cards in there for you. Real small. Just saying thank you. And we love you. And we believe that you can also do a random act of kindness. Everybody else is like, well, that's lame. <laughs> it's life. But what I want you to do is to stop by that table. We're already a little behind the fourth day, okay? So we're going to have to do some catch-up. But pick a day. Pick a day. It can be something simple. I mean, one time I bought some cooler of cold drinks and just drove around for an hour in Covington watching people doing work, maybe with a lime company or cutting grass, and just said, hey, man, we're from Church 213. Just want to say, want to bless you. Here's a cold drink. We bought roses, and, and we, we drove through the Kroger parking lot, and we gave long stem roses to moms that looked like they needed some encouragement with a baby on their hip and a buggy full of groceries and saying, good job, mama, we're seeing you. We notice you. We took some little stickers and said you were fearfully and wonderfully made, and we put them in the Walmart women's bathroom. I didn't go in there, okay? But, but we, the, the ladies that I was with put those on that mirror so when they walk in, they would see Scripture. Simple stuff. Pay for somebody's meal. Be nice. Be kind. A random act of kindness. You know what? It'll be radical, but it's real. Okay? So go out. Put your name on a square. We're not going to tell you what to do. Okay? And then just go be random for the whole month. Can y'all do that? If you're a guest with us, 
You can do it whether you're a guest with us or not. Okay? Go be kind. Something else. We have a mission trip. We have an opportunity to invest into, um, into a ministry in Conyers. We're building a mission team, construction team. It's at the end of this month. And so we want to build a team and we want to go bless this ministry by doing some repair and restoration work. If you're handy and you've got some time or even if you've got some comp time or vacation time, you can take off. See Tony Jones. Where's, where's Tony? There he is. Tony's our team lead for this project. He'll also be out there. So let's be people of, of kindness. Missions Month here at Church 213. So the scripture lays out three things quickly and we're done. How are we going to be a follower? Well, he, he tells Peter three things. First is this. He's like, hey, you have to deny yourself. That's it. You have to deny yourself. Peter, if you want to be a follower, if you want to make a difference, you've got to deny yourself. This is unexpected. I get it. But this is what's required. It's giving up the self to right determination, self-determination. It, it means saying no to selfishness. Deny is saying no to that innate draw to serve ourselves. Man, it's there, isn't it? Man, you want to do it. Self-preservation. Our selfish ambitions to rise above other people. Our selfish attitudes of caring only for our own interest. Our selfish desires to put our needs above everyone else. That's why this, this random act of kindness is so special. Because it has to put us in the background. There was this girl named Maria, and um, she broke up with Jimmy. Jimmy was heartbroken. Y'all pray for Jimmy. And so she's like, hey, I, I just don't want to be with you anymore. But after about a year, out of the blue, she, she starts texting Jimmy. She said, Jimmy, I miss you so bad. Jimmy, I think about you day and night. Jimmy, you dominate my mind, my thinking. I, I, I just don't want to be apart from you anymore. Please call me so we can try to work this out. Please, Jimmy. P.S. Congratulations on your new promotion. Man, her motives. She wasn't denying herself. Man, it's amazing how willing people are to do things for someone else when there's personal benefit attached. And it's easy, isn't it? Y'all, y'all there? Second is this. It's it's he says, you got to take up your cross and you have to die. That's pretty bold. Because they knew what a Roman cross was all about. This was brutal. For us, it would be like, take up your electric chair. Take up your lethal injection. Take up your firing squad. Take up your next 63 years of solitary confinement. I mean, this, this was serious right here. It was the most extreme form of punishment. And so what Jesus is trying to, to get them to understand is that his commitment to obey the Father was greater than his desire for comfort and approval. Hey, I know we're almost done, but y'all sit up. You, know, you paid for the whole chair, but you're only going to use the edge. Y'all lean in. This, this is it. This is the key to deny yourself and follow me. Jesus was dedicated to honoring the Father that he would climb on the cross and take God's wrath for sin that was ours to bear. And that's the pivot point. That God loves us. That Jesus loves the Father. So Jesus dies for us. That's the circle. And that's the pivot point for Christians. And death to, to, to self is the biblical example of how to change direction and how that is executed without giving up offensive advantage. I'm going to tell you, you, you will never lose by being selfless. But in some part of our human nature, we don't want to sacrifice because we feel vulnerable and like we're giving leverage to someone else. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? It's, I mean, that, that's how we feel. If we give ourselves away, then we lose. But that is not the gospel. If we give ourselves away in His name, we win. Usually the fastest way to pivot toward the center of God's will is away from being self-centered. And so on a daily basis, we are to say yes to God. What's God's will for? I get that question. So God, 
Pastor, what is God's will for my life? Do what he's calling you to do right now. Do the same thing tomorrow. And then tomorrow, do the same thing the next day. And in 10 years, you'll be exactly in the center of God's will. Dying to yourself, listening to his voice, and soaking in his presence. And the beautiful thing is, he's not asking us to do anything he has not already done. Right? He's already done that at a greater level. And so if we choose to deny ourselves and take up our crosses as Christ did in obedience to the Father, there's hope for us. You'll see his hand at work. Broken hearts will be mended. People that have lost their way will find direction. Prodigals will come home. And we will see the love and the power of God in a way we never thought possible. And so this morning, my prayer for you is that you would use the tool of the pivot to stand on faith, to put you in a position of victory without losing possession of the promises of God. you got to know what you believe. You've got to know what expectations really are. And you've got to know what you're going to do, what's required, if you're really going to be a Jesus follower. Because it's not a label. It is a lifestyle change. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and set the captives free. Free to what? Free to live out his good purposes. But sometimes we have to pivot. And so my challenge for you this morning is to really consider, what, what is my pivot point? Maybe you want to praise God for those pivot points in your past, that His mercy has allowed you to pivot. Amen? But maybe you need another pivot this morning. and God has laid on your heart. Maybe it's to pivot to Him. Maybe it's to pivot away from something that's causing distraction. Maybe that pivot is away from your own selfishness. It's just causing everything around you to crumble. I've got good news, church. God is a God of a pivot. Let's stand together as we pray. Maybe this is the morning that you need to execute a pivot in order to maintain offensive advantage. And I want to invite you to do that. <laughs>